Now, those of you who have come the last couple of Sundays know that we've been talking about the uh, peculiar marriage vows that we use here at the dispensable church, peculiar to our church. I don't mean that they're weird, you know. <laughs> uh, and I've been going through them line by line. There are eight lines. And talking about marriage, but talking about it in a way I hope that no one who is uh, single, uh, unmarried, or feels that uh, they are in an unhappy marriage will feel excluded because there is no difference. All situations are the same. The rules apply to everything. It only sounds different to our ego because our ego loves to translate truth into behavior and think that some particular behavior is called for because of some particular truth. And never is that true. If you will just let the behavior flow from your peace and concentrate only on your peace, then you will do it right. And the right will change with each situation and with your sensitivity as to what's needed. So the chatter stops, as it did in the meditation. But what we don't believe that, you see, what we believe is that we're thinking when we're chattering. And we actually believe that the chatter has something to do with the decisions that we make, and that the more we worry, the more we protect ourselves against a mistake. And there's an actual fear of silence. You think you may leave something undone if your mind is quiet or if you take up the practice of quietness, of stilling the mind whenever you notice it for just a moment, not worrying about how long you've stilled it or when the chatter begins again, but just coming back to that over and over again, coming home, coming to this hush of heaven that is in your heart. Well, the fear is that you may leave something undone in the world if you do that. Because the ego thinks that only when it's chattering is it observing, is it being vigilant and aware. And just the opposite is the case. And so one of the things that you will find is that you need not think about anything in this world. You need not have a single worded thought, and yet you will do everything that you need to do at the time you need to do it. As a matter of fact, you are much more likely to respond quickly and appropriately to whatever situation you're in if your mind is still than if it's chattering. You're much more likely to take care of the car if the car needs taken care of or to buy this or that at the grocery store if your mind is quiet. But it takes you might even say an act of faith to go through that resistance and just see what happens as you return your mind to stillness over and over again. Well, the line that we've come to in the marriage vows is, in helping you awake, will I awake? And what does that have to do with the relationship? What does stillness have to do? It is only in stillness that you can see what another person truly needs. And that is not necessarily what they tell you they need. What they need is to awaken. And what does it mean to awaken? 
It means to be happy. That's all it means, just to be happy. And the person that you're living with, or the boss that you work for, or your employer, or your child, or your relative, or your good friend that you see so often, you know a great deal about. You have a much larger cache of knowledge about this person's ego than you realize. It is not the knowledge that you perhaps on occasion uh, disperse to other people on the phone. It isn't that knowledge in which you criticize another person. It's the knowledge of what it takes to make this person relax a little, enjoy life a little. It isn't the knowledge that you were taught as a child, because you may have, taught, be, have been taught to always say cheerful things or to always smile or to always be quiet or something like that. And that may have been very good for your parent, but obviously it is not necessarily good for your friend or your spouse or your employer or your employer, whoever it may be. In order to know what would help, what would make life easier, what would make this other person, or at least give them a chance to relax a little bit, requires stillness. It requires a pause. Because it is in pausing that you break from your past. Your ego is nothing but your particular past. It is the identity that you've established in this world this time. And so if you take it all, that's your ego. When you pause, you break at least to some degree, your connection with your particular past and all of its rules and all of its shoulds. And you look and you know without any questions. Questions come from the ego. They are of no help to you. Without any question, you know whether to say this or say that, whether to give them a little pet or whether they will cringe and horror if you give them a little pet. Some people do cringe and horror if they're patted. Don't pat them. Patting is not love. Love is love. Love is being still and seeing what the other person's ego needs are and then meeting them as best you can and only to the degree that you can meet them in peace. So, of course, you don't meet an ego need that you can't, that's going to stir your ego up to the point where you're thrown back into some sort of fear, some sort of terror, or irritation, or sense of martyrdom. You don't ever want to do anything that's going to make you feel like a martyr, or irritated, or you owe me one. But if you can see that you can do it in peace and that you do not have to be thrown back into that position, then of course do it. Because in helping your friend, your spouse, your child awake, will you awake. As we said last time, do as much as you can do in peace. But be certain that you are doing all that you can do. I know someone uh, who recently... They don't attend this church, and this came to me through another person. It's a mutual friend. This mutual friend has turned away from her mother. She is not writing her mother, which she used to do uh, very regularly. 
and this is supposed to be making a statement that somehow the mother will understand. Of course, the mother will not understand. The mother is pretending that nothing has happened, but there are things that this particular woman could do if she can no longer... Uh, uh, excuse me, I, I, I said right, I mean phone. She's no longer phoning her mother uh, regularly. Now, if she has discovered that it is not peaceful for her to talk on the phone with her mother, then perhaps she could write, or she could do something. There is usually something that you can do, unless you have seen clearly that you should step away from this relationship in every way, what's, every way uh, that you can imagine. And that, of course, does happen sometimes. It may be, for example, that someone sees you as a sexual object, and anything that you do that's at least bit friendly plays into that. And so for a time, you may have to physically withdraw in every single respect. But so often that's not the case. So often there is something you could do in peace, so see what, what, what you could do and do it. Because in helping them awake, will you awake. In helping someone feel loved by seeing what they think of as love, which may be a letter or a phone call, are remembering an anniversary, our birthday, are all the little things that the ego calls love, which of course are not love, but many people feel loved only when those kinds of things are being done. You look so pretty today, so-and-so, and they feel loved. You don't have to go back to truth and say, well, I'm not supposed to compliment and so forth, and no one's special. Because it's your intent. It is your motive in doing it. You're not trying to puff up their ego by telling them they look pretty. You know you're not doing that. It's a simple act of kindness. Now, what I promised you last time that we would talk a little bit about today that has to do with uh, awakening is... Um, Letting go of what's happened during the day. This is what, of course, drags relationships down. They begin building their own sad, perhaps even miserable past. So that after a while, you cannot see even a good friend. You see only what's gone on between you. So the luncheon engagement that you have made with your friend calls to mind only what's gone on between the two of you, and this is why you dread it. You know nothing about this luncheon engagement, and how often have you been wrong that your friend did not respond in the way that you expected them to? If you would just look at that one thing, how people are not the way we expect them to be, we might begin ridding ourselves of this box, this cage that we put everyone in. But it is so helpful if you don't even build the cage in the first place, or even if you have built it quite strongly, that you cease bolstering it. And so if you can find ways to let go of what happens during the day, this is a profound, a very deep form of forgiveness. It takes concentration, 
and I will make a few suggestions as to how you can do it. The suggestions don't matter. I make the suggestions only because many people have found these helpful. But a plan helps. To simply say to yourself, I should be more forgiving. I should live in the present. I shouldn't accumulate grievances. I shouldn't let the day weight me down as I go on. I shouldn't let these things build up in our relationship and fester. To simply say something like that doesn't do anything at our stage of learning unless you have a plan. Don't be afraid of plans. A plan is a step out of chaos. And so if there is some unhappiness between you and another person, sit down and formulate a simple plan, something to try. So you get up in the morning and things begin to happen. Something goes wrong. It's very helpful to notice this. If you're living with someone, you will probably blame it on them. Uh, otherwise, you'll blame it on GE that made the toaster or something. The tendency, of course, is in the beginning to always blame it on something else and not see the pattern, not to see our involvement. So notice how often something goes wrong. So of course you have a plan as to how to begin your morning. And of course it includes quiet time and simplicity and eating the foods that are peaceful for you to eat and not doing things that will terrify you like getting on the scales. <laughs> of course it includes those kinds of things. Unless, of course, you're using it as a mini trampoline or something, scales. I'm not, you see, there's always exceptions. So. But, of course, you do that. But notice how there's always a little bit of the world swirling around you. Not as much, perhaps, as you thought. The world is actually, either, is actually easier to quieten, to put in abeyance, than is realized at first, as you will find as you have a reasonable approach to the morning, if you just be intelligent about the way you begin your day. But inevitably, something will come up that's unexpected. So does peace mean that you insist that it be this other way? Of course not, because in insisting in that way, you lose your peace. And so peace, of course, includes flexibility, tremendous flexibility. So you do have your plan, and you've thought it out, <clears throat> and you've done everything that you can do to make your day begin in peace. But when the unexpected happens, when someone acts up, something goes on, as it always does, something breaks, something delays you, then remember that peace includes flexibility. It's a bending with the wind. That is how to walk through the world in peace. You have two things. You have a plan, and you have infinite flexibility. And if you have those two things, you can go through this world a happy, peaceful person. Now, something happens. What do you do? I'm going to suggest steps to you. 
You have to have gotten to the point where you see this accumulation of anxiety, of discouragement. Something's wrong. You have to, of course, bring, begin the day in quiet. That doesn't mean that uh, you should insist that the other people around you do this. And it doesn't mean that you must insist if your body has got to have a cup of coffee, then let it have a cup of coffee and then do your meditation. There's no fetish here. If there's something you have to do first, then do it first. But as much as possible, start the day in peace, even if you have to get up just a few minutes early to do this. Start it in quiet. Now, after you've had your quiet period, notice how the world begins to come in in little ways. Suddenly something has gone wrong and you're discouraged and you're blaming the person you live with or you're blaming this person who called you. Are you blaming what you heard on TV? Perhaps in the future you will question whether or not it's helpful to turn on the news first thing in the morning or whether it's helpful to have your, whether it might be helpful to keep your phone off the hook until you've had your quiet time. But you haven't gotten to that point. Something happens. What do you do? Here's what I would suggest that the first thing you do is that you just notice it. We've said this so often here, and I cannot stress this enough, and I wish there were some way I could convince you of what a tool you have in your problem-solving repertoire by simply knowing that it is possible to look at something and do nothing about it, to just look at it and see what's going on inside you. Awareness of the ego gives you the ability to walk around it. It is that simple. If you are aware of anything your ego's doing, if you are simply aware of it, you will instinctively begin walking around it without having to tell yourself what to do. And so, always begin with awareness, more awareness. Stop. See what's going on. Look around. What's happening now? You were peaceful. Now something's happening. Unquestionably, you don't like the way you're feeling now. There's a little something going on. Don't be afraid to stop. Don't be afraid to pause. Do you see you have nothing to fear? So, uh... Let's say that you're going to uh, wash your egg. You're going to wash your uh, egg because it might have, uh, well, it may have a whole family of little bugs scurrying around on, on its white surface. They may think this is the ideal skating rink, and you're going to wash it, you see. How long would it take you to wash an egg? Oh, let's say it would take you uh, 15 seconds. Now. Something's happened. Something's happened. Maybe you're in conflict as to whether to wash the egg. You've heard about the little holes in eggs. You've been reading articles. Don't read articles. <laughs> but you've been reading articles, and so you've heard that eggs have pores and that they breathe. This is a scary concept, <laughs> that our eggs are breathing. But nevertheless, big-time authorities have told us this. Now, do you want them to breathe in the uh, uh, 
What do you use? Liquid dog. What? Comet. No. <laughs> oh, should I use comet? <laughs> uh, and so you notice that you're conflicted. You may not even realize what the conflict's about until you pause, and it's about the egg. Your ego steps in. It will take you longer to pause than it will to wash the egg, says your ego. Does it matter? Do you see what a completely silly argument that is? What if it does take you longer? What is more important? Your peace or that you go ahead and do something? The ego always wants you to barge ahead, quickly do something. The ego has a way of resolving conflict. And that is to quickly do something. And that does not resolve conflict. It appears to resolve conflict. But remember, your ego believes in appearances. Appearances are everything. And so, if you're doing something, you couldn't be conflicted, could you? If you're pausing, that looks a great deal like hesitation. But it is not hesitation. You're turning to the peace of God. You're turning to yourself. You are awakening and you're helping everyone that is held in your mind awake when you do this. So don't consider how long it will take. Pause. Don't be afraid to pause. So that's step number one. Simple awareness. Step number two, I would suggest, if you see something's happening and you don't want to take it on and you don't want this feeling of the day beginning to drag you down and this accumulating anxiety and discouragement, you know the feeling so that all you want to do is somehow get to bed or have a drink and get to bed or watch such and such a program and you, and you sort of bore out. Would that be it? That's not it. What would be a good term? What's the opposite of bliss out? <laughs> Squash out. <or> something. <laughs> you can't say zucchini out. Somehow zucchinis are, have an aura about them. If you notice this, why is this? And squash are a little suspect. <laughs> zucchinis are definitely in the new age and squash haven't quite made it. <laughs> so you can't say zucchini out. I mean, if you want to start a committee, this is the kind of thing that should be rectified. <laughs> if you want that accumulating process to begin to slow down and finally to stop, then the next step you might try, when you begin to notice that something is going on, a little something, an undercurrent, you begin to sense it. And you're aware of it. And in your awareness, perhaps something comes along. The article on the eggs comes into your mind. And you're worried about how to wash the egg, should you use any soap at all. And you rudely turn down your friend who just started shelling Shackley. Do you see? And you realize now this is a great mistake because you could have used the shackley and it would have been all right and you didn't do that. Now, the second thing you might try is instant dismissal. There is no right or wrong about whether you wash the egg. 
There is no right or wrong about anything. The question is, what will bring peace to you? And anything you can dismiss in this world, if you can dismiss it, that, of course, is the best thing to do. Because you don't have to pay attention to anything in this world. If you dismiss it and you're at peace about it, it will not hurt you. But don't kid yourself. Because most things you cannot dismiss. Don't tell yourself you can dismiss something when in fact you can't dismiss it. And if you have a little tinge of anxiety every morning as you look at your egg and try to see the little breathing mouths all over it, then you're not dismissing it. And you haven't dismissed it. And so you need to try something else. But it's a good thing to try this. Or your spouse says something to you in the morning, as spouses always do. The ego loves to start the day in misery. And you put two people under the same roof, and it's as if their prime priority is to sow misery and unhappiness and anger and guilt and everything else first thing in the morning. We do this. We all do this. We ask questions that only bring other people anxiety make them feel slightly uh, criticized. Oh, you like your toast that brown? <laughs> perfectly innocent question. What are you getting upset about? What do you mean, I cook the toast? From now on, I cook the toast. All I ask is, is that the way you like it? You see, but just notice, you see. So, Someone has attacked you a little bit, or they've asked a question, or they've done this or that. Try dismissal. First, you're aware of it, and then you try dismissal. Instantly dismiss it. It is actually possible to heal physically through instant dismissal, but it is extremely difficult to do that because most people are not, near, not anywhere near the point where they can do that. But a time will come in which you will actually see you are being given the choice as to whether or not to come down with the flu or such and such. And if you dismiss it instantly and firmly, you don't come down with the flu. But you have to reach the point where you can do it without any conflict. And very, very few people have got reached that point. But it is a good tool to begin developing. Instant dismissal. Then be honest as to whether or not you succeeded. If there's any doubt... You haven't succeeded. If you're still wondering whether you succeeded, you haven't succeeded. It's that simple. So what's the third thing? Do something overt. Now this is what's not usually understood by people on a spiritual path. They will not go to the overt step. They will go to the metaphysical step. It is easier to let something go. If something is in your mind and it's worrying you, something that someone else said or did, or something that happened, or something that you're afraid is about to happen, if you will do something overt, you will put it to rest more quickly than if you go to some sort of metaphysical business. I'm telling you the truth now, because if there's something to do overt, it, you believe in the world more than you believe in metaphysical treatment or prayer or anything else. 
That's just the fact. At this point, we believe more in the world than we believe in prayer. And so you can use the world to clear your mind. Don't be afraid to use the world. There's nothing unspiritual about using the world to clear your mind. And so, for example, you put the egg back in its little carton. You call your friend up and apologize profusely and say, bring over the shackly. And then the next morning, you wash the egg. And, and uh, now you're, you're free. And it doesn't matter whether or not you should wash the egg or whether it's sensible or illogical or anything else or you should be beyond it. If it helps to wash the egg, you wash the egg because you don't worry about it and you don't accumulate it. If you think, I should be beyond this, I should be able to just crack the egg and not let that article bother me, but it is bothering you, you have taken on a weight and it's going to follow you the rest of your day. You're going to take a little anxiety with you into every activity for the rest of the day. Don't do that. If you can do something overt to put it to rest, do something overt. For example, um, we have a number of uh, alcoholics, uh, members of AA, who attend uh, the dispensable church. And, um, but there are, can be other reasons for not drinking alcohol. One of the things that I began noticing a little while back was that if I had my uh, Smith and Kearns, which is uh, a sophisticated way of saying Kahlua milkshake, uh, which I only had maybe five times a year, uh, it was made with Kahlua and cream and soda water and so forth. And I thought, you know, surely I can have this. But the fact was that uh, I could feel it in my stomach for two or three days after that. And it didn't matter how much metaphysical work I did, it didn't go away. And so what did I do? I made the decision that I will never again drink any alcohol. Not because I have an allergy to it, as uh, most alcoholics do, but for another reason. I can't turn to God easily if my body hurts. Even if it hurts a little bit, I find it a little more difficult to turn to God. If my body is quiet, then I can turn to God so much more easily. So which is more important? Being able to turn to God easily or having my four or five Smith and Kearns a year? Well, when I looked at it that way, there was no choice. Of course, I say, I simply won't do that anymore. That was not a sacrifice. But I did it overtly. And I can tell you, I would have gone on for probably another year, two, three, battling it some spiritual way, trying to overcome the effects. But all I had to do was just take a little step, and it's just not there any longer. There will be many times in which you cannot do anything overt. There's nothing you can do about it. And this is a good uh, realization. If you can look at your worries, and it's a good thing to look at them, you will see that you can't do anything about most of the things that you worry about. 
this is a real good insight. Most of the things you worry about, you can't do anything about them. You at least can't do anything about them now, but you're worrying about them now as if you could. But in most cases, you can't do anything about them anyway, and yet you continue to worry about them. A useless activity. And so when you run across something that you've taken on, some worry, some anxiety, and you see that there's not some simple overt thing that you can do, but it's always good to look to see if there is, then go to something mental. And so once again, let me give you the four steps. Simple awareness. Try dismissing it. Try something overt. Something simple and overt. And the fourth thing is, if you can't do, if it still doesn't leave, then do something mental. Now, I want to give you some steps on what to do mentally. This is a last resort, but it's one you will use frequently because there's often nothing you can do. The first thing is, see what your ego is up to. Stop and see what it's up to. So you haven't been able to let go of this thing, whatever it is, what this person said. They know that you don't like them to do such and such in the morning, and they did it, and now this is waiting on your mind. It's grating there, and you can't let go of it. Stop and see what your ego is up to. What is it asking you to do? Or maybe you're the one who said something. And you thought you were beyond that. And you said this thing, and it set this other person off, and you know not to say this particular thing, and yet you did it, and now you're beating up on yourself. Now you're condemning yourself. Which is always an additional mistake. You've made one mistake, and now condemning yourself for it is making another mistake. You are actually adding another weight, not only to your day, but to your life. Because you are now ingraining it and you're changing a mistake into a sin. And a sin stays with you for the rest of your life. Because what can you do about it? It happened. This is undeniable to the ego. It happened. You did it. And so you are always going to be a person who said this particular thing. And by condemning yourself, you have made it ugly. And made it into a sin. And it was just a mistake. That's all. So see what your ego's up to. What is your ego up to? Its only purpose is to make you miserable. This is very difficult for us to believe that there is a part of our mind whose sole purpose is to make us unhappy. It's a very small part of our mind, but it happens to be the one where we're squarely planted at the moment. And so your mind actually works to make you unhappy. But it won't succeed if you see what it's up to. It's only when you think it's up to something else. I shouldn't have said that to so-and-so. I know better than that. And then in the name of truth, you rake yourself over and over and over. So turn to your ego and say, what do you want me to do? This is a wonderful thing to do. What do, well, just, yes, I did say that. Now, what do you want me to do? Self-immolation by fire? 
perhaps I should lie down under one of those uh, asphalt. Have you seen those marvelous asphalt machines that they've got around here? Talk about dragons. Oh, Lord, uh, yards and yards of belching flame and everything. Would you like me to lay down under the asphalt machine? Perhaps on a tennis court site so that uh, people will lob off my nose for eternity. You know. All right. Once you've seen what the ego's up to, it will be quite easy now for you to walk around it, but you must walk around it. See what it's up to. And we were talking about mental means now. This is mental. You, you're unhappy and you're criticizing yourself. Turn and see what's going on when you're criticizing yourself. Don't be afraid to look at that. You are not being humble when you're criticizing yourself. You're not being virtuous. You're not being honest. You are simply loving your ego. That's all you're doing when you criticize yourself. It is love of the ego and nothing else. It is not a help to you and it's not a help to your brothers and sisters. And it does not take you one step closer to home. It does not heal the world. It does not relieve any suffering. It doesn't do anything except walk in the wrong direction for you to criticize yourself. It is total waste of time. It is a judgment. It is anger. It obviously doesn't come from Christ. It has no forgiveness in it. It is totally devoid of love. Spend no time criticizing yourself. Simply say, yes, I made a mistake. If you can see something you can try next time, then say, next time I'll try so-and-so, and then that's it. If there's nothing you can try next time, if you just made the mistake and there's nothing you can do differently next time, then you just say, yes, I made a mistake. I'm only at a certain level of learning, and I will make mistakes. Would you please say this after me? I will make mistakes. I will make mistakes. This is a wonderful release. We act as if we are not supposed to make mistakes. But we still have egos. We're still at a level of learning. You are further along than you were just a few months ago. You're certainly further along. You can see this, can't you, than you were a few years ago. You know that you're not making some of the mistakes that you made a few years ago. Do you honestly believe that in a few years from now you won't look back at this time and see that you made mistakes? Of course you'll make mistakes. So what are you going to do about that fact that you're going to make mistakes? Are you going to beat up on yourself? Or are you going to respond in a useful manner? If you're going to respond in a useful manner, then begin developing the habit of any time you make a mistake, I don't care how chronic the mistake is. I don't care how many times you've made it. I don't care if while you were making the mistake, you said to yourself, I'm making a mistake. Here I go. I know I'm not supposed to be doing this, but here I am. I'm doing it. It doesn't matter. That's just the ego setting you up for guilt. Even if you know you're making a mistake while you're making it, you can't help it at your level of learning. Be certain that you're being as kind as you can be. Be certain that you're being as peaceful as you can be. You can be so peaceful and you can be so kind. And you can be so gentle. There is a degree of gentleness and peace and love that you are presently capable of. Be certain that you're being as peaceful and as kind and as gentle as you can be.
But don't tell yourself that you're supposed to be perfect because your ego will set that up for defeat. It will tell you what perfection looks like. And it will tell you what you said was right or wrong. And you don't even know whether it was a helpful thing to have happened. So that's step number one in your mental, your mental, uh, you're turning to a mental means now to let go of something. See what it's up to. Ask it even what's, what it's up to. And then the second thing is mentally, make the decision to out-endure it. Make the decision to out-endure it. So you've made a mistake or someone else has said something and you're very angry about it. Or there's something going on in the world. You see, one of the things that happens is we begin to we begin to actually draw in our ego so that it's manageable. If you if you've got your ego spread out all over this world and you're worrying about what other nations are doing to other nations and what Washington's up to and all this other stuff you have got very little chance of keeping your ego in abeyance. And one of the things that you will learn eventually to do is to confine your ego needs to your immediate circumstances. And this is a very happy thing to do because your ego really doesn't care as long as its needs are being met. So you can take your ego needs and redefine them and say, what do I want? How do I want to live in my apartment, in my house, in my room? Well, I would like it to be neat. And you have an idea of how neat. And how would I like to eat? I'd like to eat peacefully. And you have an idea of that. And how would I like to drive to work? And you have an idea of how a happy way to drive to work might be. And how do I want things to go at the office? And then you have an idea about how things could go at the office. And then how do I want, what do I want to do at lunch break? And then what do I want to do on coming home? And how do I want to spend my evenings? And there you've got your little circle, you see. Now, you throw, if you throw your mind open to everything else that's going on in the world, this is, makes it quite difficult. Now, you may not, maybe you can't help doing that. Maybe you have got to watch the news. You've got to read the whole newspaper. You've got to read all the magazines. You've got to get in every political discussion. You've got to join every committee. You've got to stand up in every rally and give your opinion, and on and on and on. And if that's the case, then you must do it because if there's a sense of sacrifice, that is worse than doing the thing that, that upsets you. For example, I television at our house is now virtually non-existent. We, ver we almost never watch television. However, there is one place that I would have a sense of sacrifice if there was no television. So let me show you how this has worked. And that is the Dallas... At first it was the Dallas Cowboys. I had to watch the Dallas Cowboys. I eventually got very unhappy with watching the Dallas Cowboys. And so it, it, it got to be the Dallas Cowboys on Monday Night Football. All right. So uh, last year it was that's what I did. 
eventually I saw that even that was making me unhappy. You see, when you see it, it's making you unhappy, you don't want to do it. You don't have, there's no struggle about it. It just falls away. You don't have to say anything to yourself. You just find that you're not watching it as much. So this year, here's what's happening. And that is that I find that all I have to do now is watch one or two plays. It doesn't matter whether it's in the beginning of the game or in the middle of it. I'm just watching my ego. Now, if I were to tell my ego, no more Dallas Cowboys on Monday night, it would be very upset and I'd have a sense of sacrifice, and this is damaging. So I see what can I give my ego that makes him happy. And so I just turn it on and I watch three or four plays, and then that's it. It may be it, because the last time I did it, what happened was, <laughs> did I tell you this? The last, uh, uh, I think the opening Monday Night Football was with uh, uh, with Dallas, and um, Howard Cosell opened the uh, uh, <laughs> thing by saying, well, we're going to have the game tonight. Even in this national crisis, we're, we're going to go ahead of the game. During the Second World War, even Roosevelt continued with baseball. And we're going on with it. I know you heard the president's words today. It's a grave situation. So, I got to know what happened up there. <laughs> they bombed New York with a nuclear bomb. <laughs> All right, I got caught up in this. This is why I don't watch television. It's just very kind of things. You can't bleep out the comments and the commercial breaks and the news breaks and all this stuff, you see. And I know this, and this is why I think... The, Television stuff has gone down, down, down. But he got me there, you see, on the whole thing. <laughs> so Gail and I started calling everybody we knew. <laughs> what had happened? <laughs> Nobody knew what had happened. <laughs> there had been some sort of talk that uh, that Reagan had made, but they didn't know what he had said would, it would make this kind of comment. And I still, to this day, don't know what he was talking about. Uh, everybody assumed it had something to do with the uh, plane being shot down. Um, but that's, you see, you give it just enough to keep it in abeyance. You make the decision to out-endure your ego. So something is coming into your mind over and over again. Now you know this, don't you? This happens to you all the time, doesn't it? There's something that keeps nagging at you. This is the weight that weights you down. You are taking it on. You are, in fact, making the decision as to whether to take this on for the rest of your life, and this becomes sort of the baggage that you're pulling behind you. And this is why people, as they get older and older, get tireder and tireder. So here it is coming into your mind over and over. It wants a place. It wants you to make a place for it in your mind, this grievance, this happening, this thing you did, this thing someone else did. Make the decision, when you see this is happening, that you're going to out-endure it. That no matter how many times your ego hands you this scene, whether it's a scene of grief, of betrayal, a comment, maybe it's a worry about something that's happening to the house, to the car, something that you need to take care of that you're not taking care of. It is of no use to worry about it. When it's time to take care of it, take care of it. But what is the point in worrying about it? You're taking this on, you see. You're carrying this. If you simply worry about something that you can't do anything about, 
So you say to yourself, I will out endure this. No matter how many times my ego hands me this thought, here's what I will do. So you decide to out endure it, and then you make a plan as to what you will do when the thought comes. Now, when the thought comes, you can do one of two things, and sometimes you will want to do both. The first few times after you make your decision to out-endure this thought, the first thing you may want to do is to do a long something. You may want to take, for example, the scene and surround each thing in the scene in light. Surround each little item in light. That takes a while, do you see? You wouldn't want to do that forever because it would become tedious. But you surround what the person said. You surround them in light. You surround uh, maybe someone connected to them that you don't like that's in somehow wrapped up in this in your mind. You surround the chair. You surround whatever it is in light, in the whole scene that comes to your mind. Perhaps you would like to do that. Perhaps you would like to see Jesus walking through the scene. Perhaps you would like to see yourself as Jesus walking through the scene and doing it differently. That takes a little while to do it, you see. But your ego values time, so if you've spent time, you will have a sense of strength because you believe in the importance of time. If you don't take enough time, you play into your ego's belief that this is not important because you haven't taken enough time. So do you wish this thought to come back into your mind over and over again or not, then take enough time. Perhaps uh, you would like to uh, give yourself a sort of a talk, a truth-based talk, a good talk with yourself. Perhaps you'd like to walk out the front door, go for a walk, and have a good truth-based talk with yourself out loud in their royal. That takes a while. You wouldn't want to do that forever. But to do it the first time or two might be a good thing. There are there it makes no difference what you do. Uh, one person here in this church recently handled something this way. He saw the whole incident as on film. It was as if there was a film playing over and over in his mind. So he closed the case of the film. He put it in a little basket. And he tied a huge helium balloon to it in his mind, and he watched it go out of sight. That takes a while to do that. But the first few times, you may want to give it that time. Now, after you've done that for a few times, you don't want to play into your ego's sense of sacrifice and drudgery and so forth. And so now you must go to a, a short reaction. This is very important to know when to shift this. You do, it, you do a long cleansing process, a long forgiving process, or what a healing process, whatever it is you have to do, letting go process. You do a longer one, using whatever technique you wish to, and then you go to a shorter one, and the shorter one's the one you're going to use for 10,000 years. It doesn't matter how many times your ego presents you this thought, this is how you're going to react to it. This is the short version. This is the one that has no sacrifice because it's so short. And what is that short version? Once again, it can be anything that you would like. I will give you a few suggestions. You've heard me say over and over, simply surround the person in light. Or simply surround yourself in light. Or if you can't surround yourself in light, 
as we did in one meditation here, sit quietly and feel Jesus surrounding you in light. If you don't like the word Jesus, feel God surrounding you in grace and blessing you. Just do that. That takes a second. Close your eyes. Yes, I made a mistake. And you surround yourself in light. Period. You go on until the thought comes to your mind again. Make the decision that whenever the thing comes to your mind, you will remind yourself of the truth very quickly. You will simply say a few words of truth to yourself every time this thought comes to your mind. Still another reaction. If you can do this, this is a good one. It's the same one that we started with. Dismiss it. If it comes to your mind, dismiss it. You simply interrupt the thought and you go on to something else. This is quite different than not taking care of it. You've done your longer work. You see what your ego's up to. Now the thing's coming into your mind and the decision is, whenever I see myself thinking about this, I will simply let it go. Okay, we're out of time. Um, so let me end with this. It is a yoga. It is a complete way home to let go of everything before you fall asleep. Now you've heard me stress many, many times how to begin the day. And you've heard me stress a few times how to end the day. And so I may stress now for a while ending the day until I feel that most of you have seen the importance of this and you're beginning to do this. This is a way home. If you were to do nothing but end the day correctly, you would walk home and you would awaken. If you were to do nothing else but that. So this can be very, very important. How do you end the day? Let me suggest a few steps. First of all, see if there is anyone that you need to forgive and forgive them. Do the best you can to forgive them. Forgive them as completely as you can. You do not have to forgive them perfectly, but be certain you have forgiven them the best you can. If anything has happened during the day, see what it may be, if you're still carrying it, if it's still disturbing you, and let it go. Do this as best you can. If there is anything that's worrying you about tomorrow, let it go. Realize that your purpose now is not to think about this. Your purpose is to fall back in the arms of God and rest your mind and your body. So that's step number one. Let go of anything that you're taking that you're holding on to. And the second step is set your purpose. Your purpose now is to sleep. Be clear that your purpose is to sleep. To rest in God. Now, people, I want to tell you about a possibility that you may not know of. And you won't experience this in the beginning. But you will eventually experience this. You can go home while you sleep. Now, I know you don't 
believe this, maybe. And I know you're not going to experience this right away. But you can go home while you sleep. I'm not talking about out-of-body experiences. I'm talking about it's as if your mind gently rests in the mind of God. It's as if you are cradled in God's love and God's peace during the night. This is a possibility. You won't achieve this immediately, but it's a good thing to begin practicing it now. Go ahead and try to rest in the arms of God. And the way you do it, as I've said before, is you rest your mind first and your body secondly. So as you fall asleep and as you wake up during the night, look at your mind and rest it. You know how to rest your mind. You know what thoughts are restful and peaceful and happy. I'm not talking about forcing some sort of worded truth to go around and around your head, although if that's peaceful, that's just fine. But just cut out the ways that you disturb your mind and activate your mind. And then try, once again, to fall back into the arms of God.